straight out of Philly, this is the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. I am your host, Dr. R.T. Mullins from Palm Beach Atlantic University. I was recently hanging out in Florida at the Palm Beach Atlantic Apologetics Conference. I got to meet some amazing people like my new colleagues and my new students. It was a really good time. In today's episode, I want to give you a taste of what I presented in Florida. I'm going to address three objections to the coherence of theism. Can God create an unmovable stone? Can God perform sinful actions? Can a timeless God know what is happening right now? If you'd like to support the show, you can donate money to my Patreon account or my Ko-fi account. Any donation amount helps me out in so many different ways. If you have questions or topics that you'd like to hear on the show, you can send me a message at rtmullins.com. Ready or not, here I am defending the coherence of theism. Enjoy. In philosophy, theology, science, and just the culture at large, there are several ways to argue that some particular theory or idea is false. One common way to argue that a theory is false is to show that the theory is incoherent. This is because incoherent theories cannot possibly be true. A theory is incoherent if it involves some kind of contradiction, or it's inconsistent, or it just doesn't really make any sense. The same kind of thing is true when it comes to Christianity. There are several ways to argue that Christianity is false. One way to argue that Christianity is false is to argue that the concept of God is incoherent. If the very idea of God is incoherent, then no such being can exist. That is very bad news for Christianity. And in fact, it's going to be bad news for Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, and any other monotheistic faith. If the very idea of God is incoherent, then there cannot possibly be a God. In which case, we're just wasting our time. But I don't think we're wasting our time here today, because I believe that the concept of God is coherent. And so what I want to do in today's episode is show how the concept of God is in fact perfectly coherent. What I will consider are some common objections that Christians face, and then I'll give you answers to those objections. Now in order to do that, I need to set the stage. First, I need to explain incoherence a bit more. Then I need to explain three different ways that one can demonstrate that the concept of God is incoherent. Once we have a better understanding of what these problems are, I can take us through a detailed discussion on the nature of God. Then I can explain how you can show that the idea of God is in fact coherent. Basically, I will teach you how to answer some common atheist objections. So here's the first question we need to consider. What is incoherence? So when you're trying to show that some concept, idea, or theory is incoherent, you're usually trying to do one of two things. First, you might try to show that the concept or theory contains some kind of internal contradiction. Something in the theory itself just makes no sense. Second, you might be trying to show that the concept or theory is inconsistent with other things we know to be true. In this case, there is an incoherence with something external to the theory. So let me start with internal incoherence. Maybe the theory itself just is a contradiction. Sometimes the internal contradiction, it's, you know, it's really easy to spot. For example, the idea of a married bachelor just is a contradiction on the surface. Other times, the internal contradiction, it's a little bit more difficult to see. Consider statements like this, it is impossible to speak about God. Or consider another sentence, it is impossible to know anything about God. 
These are common statements, and their incoherence often goes unnoticed. In case you did not spot the contradiction, let me help you out. If someone says, it is impossible to speak about God, well, notice that they just spoke about God. If someone says, it is impossible to know anything about God, notice that the person seems to know at least that much about God. So these statements, they contradict themselves. That is internal incoherence. So let me say something about external incoherence. External incoherence is when there is a mismatch between a theory and the world. Something about the way the world is contradicts the theory. So here's an example. So prior to Copernicus, it was thought that the sun orbited the earth. Well, that contradicts the evidence that we have now. Now, the evidence strongly suggests that the earth rotates around the sun. Any theory that says otherwise fails to cohere with the evidence that we have. Okay, so that's enough about incoherence. Let me talk about how to demonstrate that the concept of God is incoherent. So like I said before, there are three basic ways to show that the idea of God is incoherent. So Yujin Nagasawa calls these type A, type B, and type C problems. Each type of problem tries to demonstrate some kind of internal or external incoherence in the very idea of God. Here is what you need to know in order to understand these problems. So here's the big idea. God has an essence. There are certain attributes, certain properties or qualities that are essential to being God. And I'll talk about these more in a, in a minute, but most people say that no being can be God unless that being has essential attributes like omnipotence or omniscience and, and perfect moral goodness. So what type A, B, and C problems are trying to do is they are trying to show that these essential attributes are incoherent and thus impossible to have. If these attributes are impossible to have, then no one has them. And since God must have these attributes, and these attributes are impossible to have, well, then it is impossible for God to exist. So again, that's going to be very bad news for Christianity. So, so that's the big idea of what these type A, B, and C problems are up to. Now let's look at the details. So let's start with type A problems. So type A problems, they focus on a single divine attribute. Type A arguments try to show that a single divine attribute is incoherent and thus impossible to have. So let me give you an example that I am sure you've probably heard. Can God create a rock so big that he cannot move it? You know, that's a, that's a tricky question, right? Well, questions are not arguments, but it is easy to develop this question into an argument against the very possibility of omnipotence. And here's one way to do it. First, someone might say that an all-powerful God should be able to do absolutely anything. So God should be able to create a rock that's so big that he cannot move it. Ooh, but wait, if God cannot move a rock, that sounds like God cannot do something. Man, I thought you just said that God is all-powerful, and an all-powerful God can do anything. Now you're telling me that God cannot do something. That's incoherent. You're saying that God can do all things, and that God cannot do all things. I mean, that's a, that's a contradiction. Your God makes no sense. We will look at an answer to that objection later. But now I want to talk about type B problems. Type B problems focus on two or more divine attributes. Type B problems try to show that two or more essential divine attributes, that they, they don't fit together. They are not compatible. Here's an example. Consider God's omnipotence and perfect moral goodness. 
Can God perform a sinful action? Well, again, questions, they are not arguments. But it is easy to develop this question into an argument against the compatibility of omnipotence and perfect moral goodness. If God is omnipotent, well, then God can do anything. Well, sinning, I mean, that falls under the category of anything. So God can sin. Whoa, hang on a second, though. If God is perfectly good, then God cannot sin. So now you've got a contradiction. God can sin and God cannot sin. I mean, that's a problem. Your God just makes no sense. The concept of God does not refer to any being that exists. Yikes, okay? You know, whew. Like, that's, uh, that's a serious problem. But before answering that problem, let's look at type C arguments. Type C problems, they focus on the nature of God and something in the external world. Type C problems try to show that something about the nature of God is inconsistent with something about the rest of the world. A common example is the logical problem of evil. Perhaps it is not logically possible for a perfectly good and omnipotent God to coexist with evil. Now, since this has been talked about to death on other shows, and I'll do it again on this show, um, I, I, I want to talk about something else. Instead, what I want to do is I want to focus on another example. Can a timeless God know what is happening right now? This problem focuses on an inconsistency between God's omniscience, his timelessness, and the ever-changing facts about our world. So here's the problem. If God is timeless, then God cannot undergo change and succession. But if God is omniscient, then his knowledge should perfectly track all of the facts about the world, such as the facts about what is happening right now. The facts about what is happening right now are constantly changing, so God's knowledge will be constantly changing. But if God's knowledge is constantly changing, then God is constantly changing. In which case, it is false that God is timeless, and it's false that God does not change and undergo succession. So again, the atheist will tell you that your God makes no sense. So, at this point, we've got a lot of problems. You know, life is hard, and it's filled with all sorts of problems. So here is an important lesson for today. Clear and accurate definitions of terms and concepts remove all manner of confusion. If you have clear and accurate definitions of terms, you can avoid all sorts of incoherence and problems. So let's consider some clear and accurate definitions concerning the essential attributes of God. So the concept of God is that of a perfect being who is the single ultimate foundation of reality. That's the core concept of God, but it doesn't tell you very much. What most people are interested in are conceptions or models of God. And so a model of God is a unique articulation of what it means for God to be perfect and what it means for God to be the ultimate foundation of reality. And there are several different models of God. I've talked about them on the show. Uh, but what I want to focus on is something that the models of God agree upon which is something that I call the uncontested attributes of God. 
I call them uncontested attributes because, you know, pretty much everyone agrees that God is perfect because God has these particular set of attributes. You know, there's these other attributes that models of God disagree over. Those are called contested attributes because people disagree if these attributes are actually divine attributes. But what I want to focus on today are the uncontested attributes that pretty much everyone agrees on. So pretty much everyone agrees that God is a necessarily existent person with attributes like eternality, omnipotence, omniscience, perfect moral goodness, perfect rationality, and perfect freedom. Now, some of you listening might be, might be like, you know, you're, you might be like internet classical theist, and you're going, whoa, no one says that God's a person. Well, well, maybe you should reread your St. Augustine or your Boethius or your Peter Lombard or your Thomas Aquinas or your John Duns Scotus or, you know, everyone uh, in the entire classical tradition who affirms that God is, in fact, a person, and that personhood is a perfection that God must have. So now, addressing people who are not internet classical theists, let me say this again. Pretty much everyone agrees that God is a necessarily existent person with attributes like eternality, omnipotence, omniscience, perfect moral goodness, perfect rationality, and perfect freedom. These are the attributes that explain why God is perfect or the greatest possible being. Now, allow me to briefly define each attribute. So God necessarily exists, which means that God cannot fail to exist. God must exist. God's necessary existence entails that God is eternal. To be eternal is to exist without beginning and without end. If God necessarily exists, then God never began to exist. And if God necessarily exists, then he cannot cease to exist. So necessary existence entails eternality. So next, let's talk about omnipotence. Omnipotence is having the most power-granting set of abilities and no liabilities. Let me explain that a bit further. Not all things that we call abilities are power-granting. Some abilities are actually liabilities or weaknesses. So for example, you and I have the ability to have mistaken beliefs. Your beliefs can be wrong. This ability does not make us powerful. This ability makes us weak. It's a liability. So the all-powerful God does not have the ability to have mistaken beliefs because that would involve God having a weakness. The most power-granting set of abilities must include an ability to know all facts about reality. This is what we call omniscience. Further, the most power-granting set of abilities will include being appropriately responsive to reasons for acting. The ability to be irrational is a weakness. It is not a power, and so it needs to be excluded from God. As all-powerful, God will be perfectly reasonable in that God will be appropriately responsive to reasons. Since God is omniscient, God will know all of the objectively good reasons to respond to. And as perfectly rational, God will be appropriately responsive to those reasons. One important kind of reason to respond to are moral facts. So God will be perfectly morally good because God will always have the appropriate response to moral facts. And then finally, as all-powerful, God will be perfectly free because his actions will always be based on objectively good reasons, and he has the ability to choose which objectively good reasons to guide his actions. That's the nature of God in a nutshell. I could go into a lot more detail about all of these attributes, but I just need to give you some of the basics for today so that we can learn how to answer these atheistic objections to the coherence of God.
Okay, so let's look at the problem of unmovable stones. So let's return to our type A problem. So again, type A problems focus on a single attribute and try to show that it is incoherent. The example I gave is the problem of the unmovable stone. Can God create a stone so big that he cannot move it? What I'll do is I'll give you two ways to answer this objection. First, I'll give you the standard story, and then I'll give you my own really bizarre story that I've not seen anywhere else. So here's the standard story. According to the atheist philosopher Michael Tooley, the problem of the unmovable stone is easily dealt with. The problem of the stone is basically asking if God can perform an action that renders him not omnipotent. If God creates a stone that he cannot move, then supposedly God is not omnipotent. You know, at least that's the standard story. So Tooley points out that it is a standard theistic claim that God cannot perform contradictory actions, nor can God perform actions that violate his own nature. Asking an omnipotent God to perform an action that makes him not omnipotent is asking God to perform a contradictory action. So Tooley says that the problem of the stone does not show that omnipotence is incoherent. Instead, the question about the unmovable stone is incoherent. So the theist should not be worried about incoherent questions causing any problems for the concept of God. That is the standard way of refuting the unmovable stone objection. Now, now look, I, mean, I think the standard story, I think it's perfectly fine. I think it's a fine way to, to solve the problem of the stone. But I must make a confession. I don't really understand why the unmovable stone is a problem at all. I, I don't think that the question is incoherent. Nor do I think that the question could possibly show that omnipotence is incoherent. Here's why. The idea of an unmovable stone, I mean, it's a really weird thing. Like, why would a stone be unmovable? It seems weird that the weight of the stone would be a problem for God. I mean, no matter how, like, how much the stone weighs, like, God should be able to move it. So, 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 so what's going on here? Well, how about this? What if the absolute theory of space is true? On the absolute theory of space, space is a substance that contains all of the possible spatial locations of physical objects to be located. If the absolute theory of space is true, then God could create an unmovable stone. Here's how he would do it. God could create a stone that fills all possible spatial locations, in which case the stone is literally unmovable because there are no more spatial locations for the stone to be relocated to. So there you go. God can, in fact, create an unmovable stone. Does this somehow show that God's not all-powerful? Well, I, I don't see how that could possibly violate God's omnipotence. God can say, look, you, you wanted me to create an unmovable stone, and I did. If you don't like the stone, I can just annihilate it from existence. But don't you dare come to me saying I'm not all-powerful because of your ill-conceived questions. So there you go. That's my own personal response to the problem of the unmovable stone. Basically, there, there is no problem. So let's consider the next objection. So the problem of God's inability to sin. So remember that this is a type B problem. Type B problems try to show some sort of inconsistency between two or more divine attributes. I asked us to consider a possible inconsistency between God's omnipotence, perfect freedom, and perfect moral goodness. So can God perform a sinful action? Now the objection, it's supposed to be like a gotcha question. Like, if you say yes, God can sin, well, then you're saying that God's not perfectly good. And if you say no, God cannot sin, ooh, well, then you're saying that God's not omnipotent. My reply to this objection is that the ability to sin is not a power, so there is no problem in God lacking the ability to sin. 
Now remember, God's omnipotence is the most power-granting set of abilities and no liabilities. Some abilities are powers, whilst others are liabilities or weaknesses. The ability to sin is a liability or a weakness, so an all-powerful God will not have this ability. Why is this ability to sin? Like, why is it a weakness? Well, there are several reasons, but I'll, I'll give you at least just one, you know? Remember that moral facts are objectively good reasons for acting. What this means is that morally good actions are rational actions because they are actions motivated by objectively good reasons. This also means that immoral actions are irrational actions because they are actions that have failed to be motivated by objectively good reasons. The ability to perform immoral actions is a weakness because it involves a failure of rationality. The ability to fail at rationality is clearly a weakness and not a power, so it must be excluded from omnipotence. So I see no reason for doubting God's omnipotence because he lacks the weakness of irrationality. Okay, final problem. The problem of God's timeless knowledge of the present. So we come to this last problem, and as we do, I need to make a confession. So as some of you know, I am one of the world's leading experts on God and time. And I know that I'm one of the world's leading experts because one of the other world's leading experts told me that I'm an expert. And I, I guess that's all it takes to get that title. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, so I'll just accept the title for the moment. So, so as, as, as a world-leading expert on God and time, I can confidently tell you that there is no solution to the problem of God's timeless knowledge of the present. I've read just about everything written in English on the topic. I've listened to far too many convoluted attempts to solve this problem. I mean, the convoluted solutions typically demonstrate a complete lack of understanding about the philosophy of time, or they involve saying things that just make absolutely no sense. Often, the alleged solutions create severe incoherence elsewhere in Christian theology. So, for example, a, a very common solution entails a theory of time that makes life after death impossible and makes the eradication of evil impossible. And that's, that's going to be a really serious problem for Christian theology. Now, before you get too worried, let me tell you that there is an easy way to avoid the solution. All you have to do is reject divine timelessness. Now, look, I, like, I know that sounds really scary. Some people even say that if you reject divine timelessness, you're somehow doing something like very dangerous. Yeah. I have several things to say in reply. First, the doctrine of divine timelessness is derived from pagan mystical philosophy. It has absolutely no foundation in the philosophical worldview that is presented in the Bible. Isaac Newton saw this very well. Isaac Newton asks if we should accept the incoherent notion of divine timelessness or if we should accept the biblical view of God's eternity as the one who was, is, and is to come. Personally, I would prefer to defend the biblical notion of God's eternity instead of pagan mystical doctrines. Now, you might be thinking, hang on, wait a minute, Ryan. Are you saying that God's not eternal? I, mean, I, I hear this question a lot. It, it makes absolutely no sense to me. And I think what it does, I, I think it demonstrates that the person has not been paying attention. As I said before, to be eternal is to exist without beginning and without end. And I affirm that God is eternal. If you want to say that God is timeless, then you have to make additional claims above and beyond saying that God is merely eternal. You have to additionally say that God cannot undergo succession, and God cannot have temporal location. You have to say that God does not exist right now, because now is a temporal location. 
And, and I think, I just think that's crazy. I think it's crazy because I think that God does in fact exist right now. If your view entails that you cannot say God exists right now, then I think you have some serious problems on your hand. So I prefer my common sense view that God does in fact exist right now. Now, but you might be thinking, well, wait a minute, Ryan. Are you denying the doctrine of divine timelessness that absolutely everyone and their mother throughout all of Western history has affirmed? Okay, look, I, I hear this question a lot too. No, I am not denying a doctrine that absolutely everyone throughout Western history affirmed. This is because it is false. It is a complete and utter myth that everyone and their mother throughout all of Western history affirmed divine timelessness. As Yitzhak Malamed has pointed out, there are two dominant views on eternity throughout Western history. One is timeless eternity, and the other is temporal eternity. And this predates Christianity in Melamed's mind, and, well, as he actually demonstrates in his historical work. Now, as the biblical scholar G.E. Ladd points out, the Bible knows nothing of a timeless God, and yet the Bible clearly affirms that God is eternal. The biblical authors are a great example of people in Western history who do not believe in divine timelessness. And then I can also add all sorts of early medieval Muslims, the majority of Jewish uh, thinkers, also late medieval Christian thinkers like Peter of Ireland. Peter of Ireland was, uh, was one of Thomas Aquinas' teachers, and he disagreed greatly with the Damaks. And then, of course, there's all these people during the scientific revolution like Isaac Newton. And now all of these people affirmed divine temporality. Now, again, you might be thinking, well, hang on, Ryan, hang on, hang on, one more objection. You are saying that God changes. Doesn't that mean that God is not perfect? Okay, well, I, I hear this objection a lot too, and I, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand how Christians can think that God cannot be perfect unless God is absolutely changeless. The book of Hosea explicitly says that God does in fact change because God is not a stubborn man who lacks compassion. The New Testament explicitly teaches that God became incarnate in human flesh, then suffered, and then died. This is a God who undergoes various kinds of changes as he freely exercises his essential attributes. So in closing, I want you to consider the words of Giovanni Ventimiglia from the University of Lucerne. As he reflected on the Bible and Christian doctrine, and as he reflected on the, the teachings of Peter of Ireland, he was forced to conclude that God must undergo change and succession as God lovingly engages with his creation. Does this entail that God is not perfect? Ventimiglia says no. So, so listen to what this Italian philosopher has to say. Here's what Ventimiglia says. In a sense, all these philosophers believe it is not necessary to be immutable to be perfect. Look at the sea. After all, if the sea did not move, it would be a dead sea, a pond, a marsh, a swamp. Precisely to be perfect, the sea must move. A similar thing would happen with God. He changes, and it is precisely in his changing that his perfection consists. Now, in my mind, that is true perfection. That is the coherent living God of Christianity. Amen. And there you have it, another episode of the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. Stay tuned for more episodes on philosophical theology.